Welcome to the Aurelium Future Strategy Podcast, the definitive podcast for strategic insights in the world of professional services. This podcast is more than just a discussion forum. It's a strategic compass for firms and professionals seeking to excel in today's dynamic business environment and prepare for the uncertainties of tomorrow. Each episode, we delve into the most compelling aspects of future strategy. From the impact of generative AI and disruptive technologies to innovative approaches across various professional sectors. At the Aurelium Future Strategy Podcast, we bring together the brightest minds in industry and academia, offering you a unique blend of pragmatic insights and expert solutions. Our aim is to empower you with the knowledge and strategies that are both forward-thinking and actionable. Whether you're looking to understand the latest trends, enhance your firm's strategic planning, or gain a competitive edge in your field, this podcast is your essential guide. Tune in to the Aurelium Future Strategy Podcast for unparalleled perspectives that will transform the way you think about strategy and the future of professional services. Welcome to the first episode of the Aurelium Future Strategy Podcast. I'm Jonathan, co-founder and chief strategy officer at Aurelium Advisory Services. My co-host today and sitting next to me is Robert, the CEO and second co-founder of Aurelium. We are delighted to finally have this podcast up and running, and we are so excited to set out on our future discussions with our panel of expert guests as we explore some of the topics that matter to professional service firms, their partners, team members, clients, the whole shebang. For our first episode, though, let's dive straight in and talk about inflection points. And specifically, I'm talking about Gen AI and large language models. In this episode, we're going to focus on the topic of Gen AI broadly to set out the context. And then in episode two, we're going to get into some of the more specifics, really dive into the nitty gritty. Without further ado, let's get going. So without mincing my words, the legal sector and more broadly speaking, the professional services sector is at an inflection point. This is true for a multitude of reasons, the primary one being generative AI and the arrival of LLMs come November 2022. Rob, before we jump into what's happening right now, give me a little bit of a rundown as to the past 10 years leading up to now and how it is that we got to where we are and why it is that we say with such certainty that right now is the inflection point rather than say, what was discussed maybe 10, 15 years ago? Look, I mean, the fact that the sector and professional services sector is at a point of inflection, I don't think there can be much doubt about that. Um, I think the question that is going through everyone's minds at the moment is how does the sector deal with that point of inflection? And indeed, I guess there is still some challenge to the idea that we are indeed at a point of inflection in the sector. The sector continues to do well. Um, And I think there is still some debate in the minds of uh, professional service firm leaders, partners, um, and people in the sector generally who who may be questioning the validity of our thesis. You talk about the last 10 to 15 years, and, and I do think it's worth just thinking about that because part of the argument against the idea that we are at a point of inflection is that, well, we've seen this movie before. We've heard these arguments before. We've been told for a long time that technology is going to radically transform the professional services sector. And really, this is just the same movie, the same argument. Nothing has changed. And I think if you look back 10, 15 years, uh, there was a lot of talk at the time 
And the conversation started around the fact that the sector was going to be transformed and would be rapidly transformed by technology. And at the time, there was a conversation around AI. It was the soft AI at the time that was the conversation being had. Uh, there was much discussion about automation and the fact that certain tasks that were performed traditionally by professional service, service practitioners, by lawyers, would be replaced in one form or another by automation through the adoption of technology. There's no doubt that that contention is right. It was right at the time. But I think what we've seen or what we saw over the last decade to 15 years was that the technology evolved slower than I think those of us that were commenting about the changes that would be brought about by technology were expecting. I think that the take-up of technologies, particularly in the corporate clients and the professional services firms, was slower than we'd been expecting, and that there was less incentive in it for professional service firms to adopt technology to drive and enhance efficiency and reduce cost. And, and there are various reasons for those for, for, for that conclusion. We went through a period, obviously, of great upheaval in the financial crisis in 2008, effectively took us through to 2012. Um, we saw firms continue to enjoy strong financial success. We then had the COVID-19 pandemic, which put everything on hold. So there have been all sorts of reasons for why that pace of change that we were anticipating hasn't come about as quickly as we'd thought it would. Um, but really, as you say, what has now changed that paradigm is the arrival of substantial large language models um, and generative AI more broadly um, in November 2022. Uh, we're not suggesting, and I would never suggest that this is the first time that anyone has heard of a large language model. Of course not. They've been around since the 60s. But really what was launched in November 2022 was a substantial large language model in the form of ChatGPT that was able to do and contextualize, or rather to do in a contextualized way, uh, some of the work that one would ordinarily have thought was exclusively the domain of humans. So it was able to converse in a language we could understand. It was able to answer questions in a contextual way that we could understand. Um, and it was able to access, analyze, and review vast amounts of data in a fraction of the time uh, that it would take a human to do. So that was the, the point of, of, of the, the starting point of the conversation. Really what's happened since then over the course of the last 18 to 20 months is the pace at which those large language models have improved. And it's that pace of improvement, it's that pace of evolution, which is now emphatically, in my view, suggested that we are at a point of inflection in the professional services sector. I think something that is interesting in that is, again, when we are discussing an inflection point, I always turn to a, a very, I think, forward-thinking quote from um, the previous CEO of Intel, Andy Grove, who defined an inflection point as a time in the life of a business when its fundamentals are about to change. That change can mean an opportunity to rise to new heights, but it may just as likely signal the beginning of the end. And I think something there and, and sort of something that's encapsulated in that, in that quote talks to the rather leisurely pace in the past that law firms have adopted when looking towards new technology. So I think then my question for you 
is why is it that LLMs, and you've, you've touched on this already, but why is it specifically that they pose such a transformative threat or opportunity, depending on how you want to position it, for law firms? And how is it that we can go about assessing, or perhaps maybe it's better to ask how it is that we go about reassessing the readiness of firms today to move towards adoption? Yeah, that that um, quote that you just referenced there from from Andy Grove is is absolutely appropriate in the context and talking about the professional services sector and particularly the legal sector, because if one considers the way in which the photography sector was transformed by the introduction of digital photography, and you saw how some firms were able to adapt to the change and others, most notably, and the, the famous one that is often quoted is Kodak, were not able to deal with that change or rather ignored the potential impact of that change. I do think there are real similarities between the photography sector at the time and the legal sector and professional services sector at the moment. And I think it's going to be very interesting to see how firms react to the threat that LLMs and Gen AI um, present to them. And those that are going to react, adapt, change, transform will be the ones that succeed and those that we will continue to see within the sector over the next five to 10 years. Those that don't, well, you know, we may well see a number of Kodak moments. But I think the, the, the point that you talk about, the ch pace of change within law firms is perfectly understandable. And I say that for various reasons. We don't have time to get into all of them. But if I were to highlight some of the reasons that I think law firms and, and professional services firms have been slow uh, to adapt to technology, technological changes, it's a combination of the partnership model. Um, the partnership model, even though you are operating as a collective, still is largely dependent on individual performance. Um, and change within law firms is particularly difficult given the nature of the individual partnership structure um, and indeed the psychological makeup of partners and, and lawyers in particular. Um, I think that there has been little pressure brought to bear on the sector by clients. Uh, clients have been slow to adopt technology themselves, and accordingly, they have not necessarily brought pressure to bear on the sector to expect them to change to meet the needs and deliver a more efficient, uh, cost-effective service. I think the technology itself, over the course of the last decade, certainly, has developed in a way that led to a very fragmented and highly complex technology environment within which professional service firms and, and law firms in particular were expected to um, operate. That made identifying appropriate technology difficult. And very often what you found is that a law firm had a vast number of single point solutions, none of which were particularly effective at answering a real business need. Partners became frustrated with the constant adoption of new technologies, which were apparently going to be the all singing, all dancing panacea to all their problems. Um, and in fact, delivered nothing other than complexity and difficulty and obviously the, the adaptation to change, which went with it. And then finally, I, I think I would call out what I think has been part of the problem. That is that the pace of adaptation or the pace of adoption of technology has largely been driven at a pace that suits the sector rather than at a pace which suits necessarily the clients of the sector. And by that, I mean that 
certainly law firms, in, in my experience, have acted on the basis that says we are prepared to accept only so much change as our partners are willing to accept at any particular time. So rather than approaching technology with an overriding view that says we must adopt the technology that will make us more efficient, will make us more effective and allow us to deliver the services to our clients in a more cost-effective, efficient way, the approach has tended to slant towards, well, we will adopt the technology as long as it fits within our existing business model and as long as it does not disrupt our existing business model too much, too fast. The reality is, in my view, certainly, is that the arrival of these substantial large language models in 2022 has meant that that is no longer something that can be accepted. It is no longer something that is available uh, to firms to say that we will simply adopt change at a pace that suits us, because this is technology that is not just changing the sector, it's changing every sector. It's changing the way in which clients engage with their providers. It's changing the way clients do their internal business. It's changing the way your competitors are going to be engaging with you within the sector. It is so fundamental that the idea that you can adopt it at a pace that suits you, and invariably that means suits your individual partners, um, is not an option that I believe is, is, is any longer available um, to a firm operating in the sector. I think there you, you bring clients quite strongly into the foreground of discussion. And I think that's something to sort of explore a little bit more closely, because I think a lot of lawyers listening to this and particularly leaders in law firms will say, but of course we are client centric. Of course, we, we have a fiduciary duty to them. We're there to represent them in any matter that they bring forward. Why is it now that we are saying, well, hold up. That may be true in certain instances, but it may not necessarily hold true in the next one year, two year, if you don't adopt to this, this sort of ongoing shift in, in the sector. Yeah, I, I, think, I think there's actually, there's, it's quite some tension in the proposition that, well, we have always acted in the best interest of the client when it comes to efficiency and cost effectiveness. And I say that for this reason, is that whilst large language models and Gen AI have created this point of almost no return, this, this point of inflection that we talk about, there has been for some time now a raft of other technologies which, had they been adopted more effectively and faster by the sector, would have and should have improved efficiency and driven down the cost of delivery to clients. And it comes back to the point that I was making. But until this point, we have as a sector been able to dictate the pace of change rather than it being dictated to us by the client. So there's almost been a, a willingness to accept the fact that professional services are delivered in a way that is on any logic less than efficient and less than cost effective. And I'm not suggesting for a minute that we're talking massive amounts, but all I'm saying is that had the sector been more effective at adopting technology, it may well have been more efficient and cost-effective even by this point. But if you, if you cast your mind forward and, and if you accept, as I do and as, as, as we argue, that LLMs are going to so fundamentally change the way in which professional services and legal services in particular are delivered, um, that they will 
on any construction lead to a more cost-effective service delivery model, then one does get into the, into the very quickly get into the discussion about, well, what happens if a law firm or a professional services firm does not embrace the technology? What if they continue to try and maintain the status quo and say, well, we will simply tweak the edges, we'll bring in large language models where it suits us, we'll use them for our own internal purposes, but we'll try and protect our business model as long as we can because we don't want to actually accept the fact that our business model will need to fundamentally change. And I think there you get into the question of ethics. Is it ethical to continue delivering services in a way in which you know is not as efficient as one could be delivering to your clients? And I think the answer to that is if you look at the law society rules in any jurisdiction, one of the requirements is that you will not overcharge your clients. Um, and that must logically mean that you, if there is a, a more effective, more cost-effective way of delivering services, you should be looking to do that. So ethics comes into it. Competition clearly comes into it um, in the sense that if your law firm competitors, your professional services, your consulting professionals are using technology to deliver a higher service or a higher quality service, or frankly, even the same quality service, but at a lower rate, and then the expectation on you is to match that because otherwise you become uncompetitive and, and, and lose business. But I think there are a whole raft of reasons for why it has now become incredibly relevant and it is not something that any firm is going to be able to take a view that says, well, it doesn't suit us. Uh, we don't have to think about it. Um, and I would say that most importantly at the moment is, is management teams equity partners, senior partners that are looking at the future of the business are going to be have to, having to ask themselves the hard question, is it appropriate that we continue to try to protect the status quo rather than that we embrace what is available to us, we become more effective, we become more efficient, and it may well change our financial model and our commercial model, but at the end of the day, you are there to service your clients. I think something there that you, you mentioned in the, in the past where, with law firms almost halting or staggering the adoption of new technologies to, in, a, in an attempt to maintain the status quo is actually probably one of the primary drivers which led us to see the, the rather rapid rise of ALSPs. And again, I know that there's, there's some debate whether or not the A should be dropped because they're no longer so much alternate as they are mainstream. Those were companies that arrived on the scene. They realized that technology was leveling the playing field it allowed them to leverage their relative strength and agility really incredibly well. And it led to a massive market boom for these companies who were able to provide cost-effective, quick solutions for clients who didn't then necessarily need to go through the higher cost, longer duration processes that they would if they approached a, a more traditional law firm. And I think that that's a really good point to enter into our break. And when we come back, I want to talk a little bit more about the specifics of large language models and in particular, the difference between, well, the debate rather that's being had between large language models and bespoke models and why it is that law firms might be pointed towards bespoke models, but why maybe that necessarily isn't the best choice for them. Welcome back, Rob large language models versus bespoke models. Why is it that law firms might be leaning towards more bespoke models? And really, isn't this exactly what we've seen before in previous technology advancements, where law firms say, okay, 
there's a new single point solution or technology on the market. Let's take it. Let's really ring fence it in. Let's bully it into submission because that is what allows us to maintain the status quo, maintain the current path and really forge ahead with a year on year profit mindset. Yeah, absolutely, and 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 I think just just to just to clarify the point, when we talk about large language models um, and bespoke, we're not suggesting that they are separate things. Really, what we're talking about, and I think your question relates to taking a sort of out of the box solution large language model and shoehorning it into a single data set, a firm specific data set. And then creating a bespoke large language model that you can, you know, brand and sell to the market as your version of the truth, as it were. You touch on a very interesting point there. And I think there are, again, two points that I would make as to why I think law firms and professional services firms have a tendency to go down the, we must develop our own unique bespoke form of the technology. Number one is the approach and and the reason that you've already articulated, and that is it makes it easier for the firm to adapt to the change because it can actually control the design, the implementation, and it becomes something that is seen to be more manageable than something that is probably less than perfect, but will do 80% of what is needed of it, but comes straight out of the box. I think the second reason is that the technology industry is very adept at coming up with all of these bespoke products where they will sell to the law firms, they will sell to professional service firms. Ironically, very often it's the big four professional services firms that are selling to the lawyers and the other consulting firms their particular product that is going to be the answer to all problems, rather than saying, We've got this out-of-the-box solution. Let's use an example. We've got a GPT enterprise model that you could embed into your business. You could make sure that all your security and data issues are taken care of, but it will be out-of-the-box, 80% fit for purpose. The argument rather is, but if you take our model, which is based off the algorithms of GPT in this instance, we will create something that is highly bespoke for you. It is very sophisticated. And it will be absolutely perfect for what you're trying to do. And you can then brand it as your LLM. So it will no longer be a GPT-4. It will be a law firm A LLM. And that somehow will give you a unique advantage in the market and will make you more attractive to clients. And I think therein lies a challenge. And, And it's something that, in my view, needs to be considered very carefully by management teams as they are looking at incorporating and embedding LLMs into their existing business. Because by its very nature, it seems to me that the benefit of a large language model is its ability to access data, its ability to analyze data, assist in research, assist in review, draft initial um, documents, provide initial responses, act as a thinking mechanism in, in many instances. And the more data and access it has to data, presumably, ultimately, the answer would be the better for the outcome. In other words, the output will be that much better. And I worry that in trying to create these very unique, and I use that term very generically, unique bespoke models, firms are artificially constructing a data set that is so refined and is so confined that you ultimately lose 
part of the benefit of what it is you're trying to do, which is accessing a large language model that gives you all the benefits that a large language model should give you. Um, and, I, and I know there's been some research done on it, and, I, and I, I would agree with this research, that the more you train the model on a single stagnant static data set, the more inherently problematic its answers become because it hasn't got the ability to actually learn as fast as the others. And I appreciate the fact that the, the solution to that will be, oh, well, don't worry. We'll be updating the data sets on a quarterly basis, monthly basis, which then adds to the complexity of having to maintain it. So I think the short point, and there was a long-winded way of saying, I, I do think that there is some discussion to be had and very careful consideration should be given to the idea that every firm should be trying to create its own bespoke large language model in the hope that that is somehow providing some kind of unique competitive edge. In, in my, to my way of thinking, large language models are going to become, it's much like having Microsoft Office 365. And the idea that you're going to create your own unique bespoke version of Microsoft Office 365, in my view, is a non-argument. And it's one that law firms should not be spending a huge amount of time trying to create because all they are doing is sucking up resource, time and money in circumstances where I, I don't believe they're going to see the long-term benefits. I think something that's interesting there is you, you make mention of bespoke versus sort of out-the-box LLMs. There was a very, very interesting study out of New Zealand, um, and I'm just going to quickly bring up the, the paper now because I, I would be very hesitant to throw out some facts and figures without double-checking them. But it's a paper titled Better Call GBT, Comparing Large Language Models Against Lawyers, and it's out of the AI Center of Excellence at Onnit from New Zealand. Something that I found interesting there is they compared out-the-box, readily accessible to anyone, anywhere, LLMs versus certain key lawyers. So they did senior lawyers, they did junior lawyers, and rarely something I want to focus on is junior lawyers. Because what they found was that the cost benefit of utilizing an LLM versus junior lawyers was a reduction of more than 99.9% when compared to junior lawyers. That is a monumental reduction in cost. Not only that, but it, it conducted the analysis of these contracts 77-fold quicker than junior lawyers were able to do. And even if one were to say, but how accurate was it? It was incredibly accurate. And in fact, 0.87 versus 0.76, I think it was for junior lawyers in comparison to, to LLMs. The acceptable margin of error in fact, then is better in comparison to junior lawyers. But really, you have to look at that in conjunction with the speed and with the cost reduction. And I think that that's, again, just straight out the box right now, not to say those models that improve over time. But I think that that's something that's so interesting and so important for lawyer firms to keep on top of. Because what that actually then suggests is that right now, let alone two years from now, we can leverage these in what is considered to be basic tasks in law firms to really drive down cost, improve efficiency. And that's not to say that lawyers and humans won't double check the work because you would double check the work of anyone. And that is exactly what Gen AI should be viewed as. It should be viewed as akin to an employee that is just able to take on a truly monumental load. 
Yeah, I, I think that's spot on. And I think we should link that article in the notes to the show because I, I do think that it is something that law firm and professional service firm leaders need to be looking at. As you say, that was technology out of the box. That was not a highly bespoke firm-specific LLM that they were testing it against. It was out of the box, the standard LLMs that are available in the market, and those are the results. As you say, over 99% cheaper, as effective from a quality perspective, and monumentally faster um, than junior lawyers and legal process outsourcers. So that that is is not something that is going to be ignored by clients, um, clients that would be doing the same kind of review and research that law firms are doing, professional service firms are doing, they're going to be saying, but hang on a second, You've got a raft of juniors doing contract reviews, doing due diligence work, which is ultimately analysis of documents flagging particular issues. Why on earth would I be paying you their hourly rate for doing that work when you could have had whatever it might be, 50, 60, 70, 90% of that work done using an LLM and delivering a result that we would have been more than comfortable to accept? Um, an error rate of less than 30%, we are very willing to accept if it's going to cost us almost 100% less and 99.97% less than what you would have charged us. Um, and they will simply be saying to their professional service advisors, that is no longer acceptable. We simply will not pay that cost. Um, and the professional service providers are in turn going to have to work out how it is they staff these matters with a combination of the right lawyers that are testing the output of the LLMs. Um, but certainly, I, I would think that they are going to find that they simply don't need the same number of junior lawyers, uh, the same skills within their junior lawyer mix. Um, and all of that, are, all of those are issues that management is going to have to be dealing with very quickly. I think it's probably time that we draw this this conversation to its its natural conclusion at this at this point. Definitely go away, give some thought as to what it is that we're discussing, and we are very excited to then discuss this as really it unfolds the next I'm not even going to say the next decade, the next year to two years really will be fundamental in how it is that we move forward as a, a broad professional services sector and indeed more specifically the legal sector. But thank you so much for joining us and we'll see you next time. As we close this episode, we want to thank you, our listeners, for joining us through the ever-changing landscape of professional strategy. Remember, the world of professional services is continuously evolving and success lies in anticipating and adapting to these changes. Our conversations here are designed to stimulate debate encourage questions and shed some light on the conversations the sector should be having. This is the Aurelian Future Strategy Podcast, where the future of professional strategy comes into focus. Thank you for listening, and we look forward to bringing you more cutting-edge insights in our next episode.